Morning, friends. Let me add my welcome to those you've already received. My name's James Lewis. I'm one of the uh, senior assistant ministers here and have the great privilege of opening up uh, these two passages with you this morning. And so I'd love for you to join with me as we ask for God's blessing. Well, God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the freedom to open up and read again, wrestle again with your goodness, your grace, your mercy. So we help us to go deep in that this morning. Like we've already heard from Di, that that transform our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, welcome to another year at Norwest Anglican. Uh, my wife Jane, our four boys and I consider it an enormous blessing to be able to do life serving Jesus with you. Uh, there's no other place we'd rather be. And that's not really about what we do or the programs that Norwest runs but it's all to do with who we are together. Ordinary, broken sinners who have experienced the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Stories of grace everywhere. So let me tell you about Darren and Amy. Uh, They grew up in the hills. They do life, family, work like most people in the hills. And they're just not interested in Jesus. It's not that they had a bad experience of church that put them off. It's not that they're particularly anti-Christian. It's not that they checked out Christian Explore for themselves and decided, no, it really wasn't for them. They're just not interested. They just don't care about Jesus. But something happened around 12 months ago. Through a whole bunch of steps, uh, talking to some friends, coming along to church, reading the Bible for themselves for the first time, and even asking Pastor Google, they have come to put their trust in Jesus. And so now they talk about Jesus as their King and Saviour. And no one is more surprised and delighted than them. That's Darren and Amy. Let me tell you about Grace. She's single. Well, actually, she'd be really annoyed for me putting it that way, uh, as if her relationship status defines her. No, she'd want to tell you about how she grew up in and around churches, but never really got a lot out of them. She'd want to tell you about how there were some really hard times when her brother got very sick and her parents nearly split up. But in that time, there was another family from church, some of their neighbours, who got alongside them, cared for them, supported them. Not not to get them to church, but just to be there for them. And Grace saw a faith that wasn't locked up in a building on Sundays, but a faith that lived and breathed and wept and hugged and served. And she got out her old Bible and she started to read secretly quietly and she met Jesus she got to know Jesus and so now Grace is desperate not to take it all for granted she's desperate not to go through the motions and tick boxes she's discovering that Jesus is the greatest treasure in the universe that's Darren and Amy and Grace's stories stories of Grace and friends you know what That's Norwest now. This room is full of stories of grace. Some of you have always known the grace of God. You grew up knowing the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Some of you have come to know Jesus later in life. Some of you, as you look on this year, are really excited about the year and how God might work amongst us this year. And some of you would love to be excited, but you're just keeping your head above water right now. And so being here this morning, well, that's a win. 
This room is full of stories of grace. We heard it from Di before, didn't we? Real stories of how God works in people's lives. And that's what Ephesians 2 was talking about, wasn't it, when we read that before? We were dead in our transgressions and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy out of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace we have been saved. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. Our daily, weekly struggle. It's so easy to take all this for granted. It's so easy just to go through the motions and tick the boxes. I struggle with that. Do you struggle with that? Some of us will end up with this kind of arm's length Christianity. Like we, we, we know the doctrine. Uh, we're comfortable with the ideas and familiar with church. But we don't want God to get up close and personal with us. We, we don't want the grace of God to work its way into all the cracks and dark places in our lives. And so we kind of keep God at arm's length. So we attend, we serve, we give, but we keep God at arm's length. And it feels safe and comfortable, but it's so far from the peace and joy of God. And some of us will put ourselves on this performance treadmill. You know the performance treadmill? When, when we're doing well as a Christian, we're reading our Bibles and praying well and feel like we're serving and growing godliness and being a blessing to others, we, we feel like God is closer to us and that God loves us more. But then there are those days, weeks, months, when we're not doing so well. We know that our prayer life reads like a shopping list. And our Bible reading... Well, we're sort of reading through Matthew. It wasn't Mark. No, no, it was Luke. Oh, look, I can't remember. It's been so long. And that thing we said we'd grow in this year, we're just failing at it. And so then God feels more distant and we feel like he loves us less. That's the performance treadmill. Our sense of God's love and his closeness to us goes up and down depending on our performance. This is what happens when we just go through the motions, when we just tick the boxes. We end up with an arm's length Christianity and a performance treadmill. And you know there is no peace and joy there. The Norwest, let's not do that. Let's not go through the motions. Let's not tick the boxes. Okay? Let's not do that. Let, let's, let's go deeper. Let's push ourselves. Let's wrestle with the grace of God. And so this morning, what that looks like is us seeing and recognizing that we were just like Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Funny little man who couldn't see Jesus, so he climbed a sycamore tree. You might remember the kids rhyme. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed a sycamore tree, the saviour to see. And I remember one morning on Beach Mission, one of my friends was doing the kids talk on Zacchaeus. And so... He got a, a pillow and he, he stuffed it up inside his shirt to kind of look stocky and awkward and, and, and then he tried to climb a tree while he was doing the kids' talk but he kind of couldn't really do it so he got in a leg and an arm sort of hanging over a branch and there he's sort of hanging like this trying to do the kids' talk. Um, it's ridiculous, right? And, and the kids laughed, of course. But that's the problem, isn't it? It's so easy to trivialise 
satirise, patronise Zacchaeus, just a wee little man. And so we don't take him seriously. We don't identify with him. And so we miss just how radical and beautiful the grace of God is. So I want us to have another look at Zacchaeus in Luke 19. So you should have that easily accessible from the Bible reading. I'd love for you to turn there. Luke 19. come to verse 2 who is Zacchaeus he's a chief tax collector which means that he was a collaborator with the Roman Empire the Romans had occupied Palestine he he helped collect taxes for them to fund the army to fund their empire and the way the Romans did it was that if once you'd reached the quota that they'd set anything you collected above that as a tax collector you could keep for yourself and so that's what they did They squeeze people of more taxes so that they could get rich and wealthy. And that's why it says in verse 2 that Zacchaeus was wealthy. So so when you think of Zacchaeus, don't think of a wee little man trying to climb a tree. Think of a greedy, selfish scumbag. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So he's the scumbag of scumbags. That's why the crowd calling him a sinner in verse 7. They're not saying that they're perfect and they're without sin it's a label they put on him. He's a lowlife. He's a scumbag. And there he is up a tree. He can't get to Jesus. So Zacchaeus is a little bit like that bird that sits and watches you have your Sunday lunch. He'd love to get in and be involved, but he knows he's not welcome and he'll be driven away if he tries. That's Zacchaeus up a tree. But verse 5, have a look what happens. When Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus is, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. (laughs) Do you see what happens? He stops. He looks up. He calls Zacchaeus by name and he eats with him like a friend. Why? Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Jesus knows Zacchaeus' story. He knows him by name even before he meets him. He knows what kind of man he is, what a scumbag he is. But Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus had no way to get to Jesus. So Jesus made a way to Zacchaeus. This is how radical and beautiful the grace of God is. And we were just like Zacchaeus. That's what Ephesians 2 says, isn't it? If you've got that finger in that, flick over back to that. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says that we were dead. Now, my brother-in-law spent some time working with a New South Wales coroner doing autopsies. And as he talked about the work, it struck me how chilling it must be to see a corpse laid out on a table and and to know that that person was days, weeks before laughing and talking and enjoying air conditioning like we are today and then just to see a corpse cold and lifeless. Ephesians 2 says that was us. Hang on, I've never been dead and I'm not dead now. Actually, I have a pretty good track record of being alive. What does dead mean? Of course, there it's in verse 1, isn't it? That we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Our 
ignoring of God, our belittling, our trivialising, our patronising of God, our rebelling against God means that we are spiritually dead. And that is the worst kind of death. To be walking and living and doing life and yet be spiritually dead. To be unable, unwilling, uninterested in knowing the God who made us and loves us. To be out of the relationship with a God at the heart of the universe. It means our lives will always be broken and so much lesser than what God intends for us. And it means, verse 3, that we are under God's wrath and judgment. It is an eternal death. But look where it turns, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Did you see that at the beginning of verse 4? It's not, but we. It's not that we were spiritually dead, but we found a solution. But we prayed and read our Bibles and we worked out a way to get back to God. No, it's but God. God intervened. God stepped in. Not in response to us. Not in response to our best efforts. It's not like we met God halfway. No, verse 4, verse 5 says that God made us alive even when we were dead in transgressions. See, friends, at the heart of the universe is the eternal living God. And he is a God who is what, in verse 4, rich in what, 1045? Mercy. He's rich in mercy. He's overflowing with mercy. He loves to be merciful. And how does he direct himself towards us? Again in verse 4, with great what? Love. With great love towards us. Great love. So God sent his son Jesus into the world on a rescue mission. He lived among us 2,000 years ago in Palestine. He lived a perfect, sinless life. The kind of life that you and I should live. But we don't. We can't. And actually, when we're honest, we don't really want to. And then Jesus offered up that perfect, sinless life in our place on the cross. Verse 3, he took the judgment, the, the, the wrath that was deserved for us, he took it upon himself died in our place and then his corpse was laid in the tomb but on the third day he rose from the dead conquering sin and death for us and now he rules the universe for us his church guiding us and protecting us and so when verse 5 says that we were made alive it's not just to walk around now like everyone else in Sydney and in the world not just to live now no no it means that our destiny our eternity is secure with Jesus. We go from eternal death to eternal life. See, we were just like Zacchaeus. Hopeless. Helpless. We, we couldn't make a way to God, so God made a way for us. And when you grasp that, when it moves from just something you know but to something you really grab hold of, you'll stop trying to keep God at arm's length. You actually want him to come in and, and, and shape and change every part of your life. And you'll get off that performance treadmill. See, God's love for you doesn't go up and down depending on your performance. How do you know that? 
Because God loved you when you were unlovable. God made you alive when you were dead. God rescued you when you were helpless. God found you when you were lost. Do you see the difference between just ticking boxes and going through the motion and being actually set free to flourish and live in the grace of God? Friends, this is Norwest now. So what does it look like? Well, I want to share with you one more story of grace this morning. It comes to us from Barnabas in the book of Acts. You may not know, but uh, we learn in chapter 4 of Acts that Barnabas uh, means son of encouragement. It was a, not his real name. His real name was Joseph, but the apostles gave him the nickname Barnabas because he was a godly, generous, servant-hearted man. You know, Barnabas, he's a son of encouragement. Let me show you what it looks like in Acts 11. It'll appear on the screen. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. So what do you think they do? And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Of course, a new church, of course you send son of encouragement to serve them. Now remember, this is a new church. It's got a lot of rough edges, people still working out what it looks like to follow Jesus, a lot of mess. And it'd be easy for Barnabas to arrive and just go, oh, what a headache, so much to work on. But look what he does when he arrives. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. See what happens? He is full of grace, the, the Holy Spirit of faith. And so he rejoices. He, he is a, a grace celebrator. When he sees what the grace of God has done in Antioch, he celebrates. He's got like a, a radar, a scanner. He's looking for evidence of God's grace amongst them. Verse 23 says that he was glad. It's a little bit of a kind of soft word. It sounds like something you'd read in one of those British children's novels, you know. We all came home and had tea and scones for dinner and we were very glad. Glad, sort of that kind of word. It's actually a much better word. It means to rejoice, to celebrate, to give thanks. So you can imagine Barnabas turning up in Antioch and he sees what the grace of God has done in this city. And he says, oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise Jesus. Look what you have done. People have turned to the Lord. They are growing in faith and joy. Thank you, Jesus. He is a grace celebrator. But, but there's more. Because look what he does next. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You see what he does? He could have said, oh, this church in Antioch is mine. I've been working on this. I've seen... And he goes and finds Saul, who became Paul, who exceeds him in preaching and teaching. And he brings him to Antioch so that the church can grow. 
is a grace celebrator. See, Barnabas knows it's not about him and his plans and his name and his structures. It's about people and people knowing and serving Jesus. That is what happens when the grace of God reaches deep into the cracks and dark places in our lives. We become grace celebrators. We make it less about ourselves and more about others. And friends, that is Norwest now. There are grace celebrators all around this room. So many of you give of yourselves so generously. You give up your preferences, your comfort zone to serve. And why do you do it? Because you love to see people love and serve Jesus. You love to see kids and youth love and serve Jesus. People like our old 8am congregation. Some of you have heard this story before, but it is part of our DNA. 2014, we had an 8am traditional service and a 9.30 family service. 9.30 had been growing and growing so much we didn't have room for the new families coming in. And so we began to talk to 8am about finishing up 8am in order to be able to start a 9 and 10.45. Now, can I tell you from my experience of churches in Sydney what normally happens when you talk to an 8am service about closing down? not celebrate, it's not glad, right? (laughs) There are angry protests, petitions, emails, letters to the editor, phone calls to the bishop, on and on and on. But not Norwest. That's not our DNA. You know what 8am said? Of course we're sad that 8am is closing down. We love 8am, we love meeting together. But we've been praying for God to do a work in this area for 25 years and now he's doing this work, why would we stand in his way? Their grace celebrates. That's our DNA. That's Norwest now. And so you know that we said last year that in response to the growth that God is continuing to send to us, we want to start a fourth congregation in term four this year. And so mid-March, we're going to have uh, what we call a whole church meeting. We invite everyone to come, or a representative from each family at least, to come and to talk, to ask questions, to pray together as we think about what the next step in this story at Norwest looks like. And to help us prepare for that, prepare for Term 4 throughout the whole year, uh, you should have received one of these in your new sheets. I'd love for you to take that out now. It's a prayer card with some suggested prayer points. Yeah, you see at the top it says praying for the church we haven't yet met. Praying for this year as we head towards term four. And all as we think about all the people we'd love for God to work in and in our suburbs and the hills around us. And so we begin by thanking God for his grace to us. Then we ask God to continue to give us a heart that rejoices in people coming to know Jesus. And we ask God to continue to bring people to Jesus. So I'm going to close by leading us in this prayer. I'd love for you to join with me. I'd love for you to keep this as a bookmark in your Bible or to put it on the fridge and to be joining in prayer together as a whole church over this year. Let's pray. Lord God, our good, merciful, gracious, heavenly Father, you who have great love towards us. 
we thank you that you sent your son Jesus on that rescue mission. That he loved us, he served us, he died for us, he rose from us and he rules the universe for your church. We thank you that when we were lost, you found us. When we were helpless, you rescued us. When we were enslaved, you set us free. When we were dead, you made us alive. We thank you for your amazing grace. So please, will you help us Be kind to us. Work in our lives to keep us from just ticking boxes and going through the motion. Keep us from keeping you at arm's length or just going on a performance treadmill. Help us to grow in your grace so that we would know that peace and joy. And we ask that as you do that, you would give us a heart that just rejoices in seeing more people come to serve Jesus and rejoice in him. We pray for the thousands of people all around us in the hills in Sydney. People we rub shoulders with at work, on the bus and in our neighbourhoods, at the shops, at school pickups, sport on Saturday. We ask for your mercy upon them. Please bring them to faith and repentance and joy in Jesus that we have experienced. Please make us your instruments in that. Give us courage and boldness and above all just a compassion for the lost. We ask this in the power of your spirit, for your glory and for the joy of all people. In Jesus' name, amen.